0: This is Bad Movies We Love, part of the Scheiss Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Bad Movies We Love, I am your host, Nick Scheist, and we're jumping into Season 2, Episode 10, and we've got some stuff lined up for the next few episodes as well. Got Crocodile Dundee coming your way, as well as Showgirls. That's going to be an interesting one. If you've got a bad movie you love, please feel free to reach out to me at Bad Movies We Love, L-U-V, on Twitter and Instagram. But today... I was joined by David Steele from Real Talks, and he brought a movie to my attention that I absolutely love. It's one of my Schwarzenegger essentials, set in a not-too-distant future that is not nearly as outlandish as it seemed in 1987. We're talking about Paul Michael Glazer and Stephen E. DeSauza's adaptation of the Stephen King novel, The Running Man, from 1987. And this this film here was so ahead of its time. Killing guys, giving zingers, classic Arnold stuff. Breakaway paramilitary suits. Damon Killian It's like one of the most evil like villain names you could think of. Captain Freedom Workout. Put me on the sled with the rockets and launch me down that tunnel. There's nothing like practical effects. He gets a little antsy and then he gets his head blown off. You have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLE. Come on, break your goddamn spine. Somebody's in deep trouble. Good stuff, I want to watch it again right now. Without
1: further ado, it's time to start running!
0: David, thank you for being here today. I appreciate you uh, setting aside some time to talk about a movie that we both love from the 80s. I mean, it's Essential Arnold, and that movie's The Running Man. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. I'm I'm having a great day so far. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Thank you for suggesting this movie. Uh, It's one that has always been Among my favorites, definitely like in the guilty pleasure realm for sure, but it's like formative 80s action. And I think any snapshot of the 1980s or of Arnold's career in general is probably incomplete without this film. So I really do appreciate you suggesting this because it is up there among my favorite Arnold films, even though I know like, hey, it's not like the best of them. But still, that's what this show is all about. So thank you. I want to ask you, as I ask a lot of people. What was the what was the most recent time you had seen this movie uh, prior to watching it for this show specifically?
2: Um, I think that. So this is one of those movies that you know you're just flipping through the channels and everything else. For me, I'm very I'm am a, a traditionalist and I always like having it edited, unedited, for runtime and language and everything else. So to answer your question Nick, I think it would have to be something on IFC. Um, you know, I so this is occasionally it will pop on and I'm just going through the channels and I'm like, "Oh, the Running Man." And so um. Yeah. So it was definitely. I think it was IFC.
0: Was I mean? So the when you watched it for this, I I'm I guess when was what is the gap between your most recent watches? For me, it was probably like five or six years.
2: Oh, definitely the whole thing.
0: Absolutely, definitely the whole
2: thing, all the way through. Definitely, yeah, I would say about five or six years.
0: Yeah, there's a indie theater kind of down the street from us, and before the pandemic hit, and. They used to do kind of like throwback Thursdays. And so each month would be dedicated to a different uh, topic. And so one of the ones that I first came across was Schwartz Timber. And so it was all Arnold movies. And my girlfriend, she didn't grow up getting to see like any rated R movies. So basically, like his entire library of films was off limits for her. And so it was an interesting opportunity to go and to see like Predator in theaters and Running Man as well. So that was probably the last time I had watched it up until uh, I watched it like last week for the purposes of this show. And I still have fun with it every time. It's never something where I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is not as good as I remember it. If anything, I start to look at it, and I feel like it's better than I gave it credit for at the time when I was a kid that just wanted to, like, see an action movie or a sci-fi thrill or something like that.
2: Yeah. Um, no, I totally agree with you. Actually, a quick story about uh, further. So, of course, Carl Weathers is in it. So um, about four or five years ago, I was down, and I had the opportunity to go to the uh, red carpet. And it was for uh, John Cazar, who, you know, has done, did this show 24 back in the day, about 20 years ago. And um, I actually got the opportunity to meet Carl Weathers. And, uh, cool. yeah, so, yeah, it was, it was a good time. But, no, absolutely, to your point. Um, yeah, it just, th- this is one of those, I, I, this is the perfect mix for me. Because it's Arnold, and it's the, the puns and everything else, and it's a game show. i love game shows hmm. so this is one of those things and um you know i i took you know notes as i watched it i'm sure you did as well and it's just one of those things where like i i just can't get enough of this it's so corny but it's so much fun too
0: <laughs> yeah i i mean i couldn't agree more and you had mentioned predator which came out same year as this so they pushed the release date for this back but Uh, So one of my oldest friends who I've known for like 30 years, his girlfriend works in props for TV and movies, and they both work in the industry. And her dad was the prop master on Predator. So he knows Arnold and he's got some memorabilia from him. And I always forget, but one of my girlfriend's grandpa's family friends, he was Arnold's body double, his stunt double. So, I, I didn't, like, really, like, meet him, meet him, but I ran into him probably, like, a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, oh, that's the guy that you're always telling me about. So, very cool to, like, actually see that now, like, when I'm watching the stunts, I'm like, oh, my God, it was Kenny. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. small world in that way, but, I mean, Arnold is just, he's one of those icons that is, like, once once in a lifetime, you know, for him to... Come to this country, not speak any English really, and then kind of grow to fame via bodybuilding and then become a movie star, win the governor of California. Like it's a crazy story. Uh and I love going back and seeing his library of films uh kind of as like a time capsule of the 80s and 90s, because I mean he basically dominated like those two decades and I mean, his TV show just released on Netflix and it didn't get like a crazy rollout like a lot of other Netflix projects do. Like, you know, when Stranger Things is premiering, they shut down Santa Monica Pier and they turned it into a Stranger Things experience. But you've got an icon, the the caliber of Schwarzenegger moving to TV for the first time. And it kind of just like went under the radar. Like I knew it was in the works. I knew it was coming soon. And then it just like dropped. And all of a sudden, like I hear people talking about it. And then I sat down. I was like, "Oh, I'm going to watch this uh, yesterday." And I ended up picking something else. It was a little bit shorter, but uh, I have my time carved out now to sit down and watch Fubar. So uh, I'm excited right. for that. I'm excited to see him move to TV. I
2: didn't realize. I mean, I obviously, he's, he just turned 75. Yeah. I just so there was a big I there was a big expose in in the THR, the Hollywood Reporter, um, and um, I didn't read the whole thing but I read, you know, a bit of it and it was just talked about, you know, and what you were saying, like he talked about his legacy and how, it, you know, it came to the States and how he got his start. And it's just, it's one of those stories where it's like, that's the American dream to a certain extent. You come to this country with nothing, you build something, hard work, and then you become successful. Right. And mm-hmm. he's, you know, I mean he he's as
0: successful as he could get, yeah. I mean, he's on like that mode of action heroes. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Uh interesting to see that he's not gonna be part of the new Expendables. I guess he stepped out of that, which is just something I read in passing this morning. But and, I mean, Expendables maybe needs him more than he needs it, so yeah. I understand. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean like he's He's had an interesting career, even as he's gotten a little bit older and gotten away from being like passable as the full time action star. I mean, he made he was still in a Terminator movie like less than 10 years ago. Right. So he's still in his mid to late 60s as the Terminator. Um uh, He was in I think it was called Killing Gunther, which was like he's a secondary character there, but he's like a. Elite famous assassin, and there's a bunch of like kind of like half assed assassins trying to kill him. Uh, very good, like small indie comedy. Uh, and then he did some of those prison break movies with Stallone, uh, which he was probably still in his 60s then. So it's not exactly like he's slowed down a ton and he hasn't really pivoted to too much dramatic work. I mean, he did Maggie, where he was the father of the girls, a zombie. Um, I think it was called Collateral Damage, which was still kind of like an action flick, but was a little bit more on, like, the family man side of things. So I think one of the strangest things about Arnold is that I find him to be a very good actor, despite him kind of taking a lot of roles that put him into a familiar ballpark. Like, he's always being, for the most part, asked to play characters that are all similar but for the for the most part like when i see him in other projects like i have to ask myself who else could have me suspend my disbelief enough to think that this guy from austria is actually a robot right and so in like in watching terminator i'm like he's actually very good at this and i think especially in terminator 2 he's a little bit more like refined as this kind of like cold character who doesn't really have a sense of humor like he does in some of his other movies like he gets to throw some one-liners in there but it's all delivered very differently and then he branched out and did stuff like Junior which I keep telling myself I have to go back and watch Junior because a movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger is uh, like pregnant is something that you're not going to get too much of and I like the fact that he was willing to just like take a risk and do a project that is completely outside the realm of like his normal stuff but that was coming around the time of Uh, like twins and kindergarten cops so it's he had refined his comedy chops quite a bit and i think he actually is like a very good comedic actor and it's nice to see him in roles like that and i think that's why uh killing gunther was one that i was really excited to see at the time and i went to a showing of it at that same small indie theater down the street and it was like people that worked on the movie, it was like me, my girlfriend, and then like six people who were like cast and crew or probably crew members. And I didn't know it at the time, but then afterwards, after the movie ends and I hear them talking, I'm like, Oh my God, like we're just here with like a people that worked on this. So, so uh, cool experience though. Is there a reason in particular why it was this movie? I know you said you like game shows. This movie scratches like a lot of particular itches for you. In terms of your your viewing pleasures, but is there something in particular about this movie that made you want to bring it to this show idea for bad movies we love?
2: Um, I, you know, it's always been you know I think you hit on it earlier. It's guilty pleasure. The, to, to answer your question though, I think it's it's one of those movies that, truth be told, I'm an '80s kid and everything else. So I mean, I always. You know, I may have seen it in the passing when I was a kid, but I didn't really have the same. Um it didn't have the same, it didn't hit the same way, so to speak. Um that being said, you'd watch it on TV, okay, fine. But 25, 30 years later, and that's really, you know, part of film, I think, as far as longevity, but 25, 30 years later, you sit down, you watch it with a different lens, and you go, Wow, this is actually really Cool. And it's not only that, it's the effects, it's the dialogue, it's the story, and everything else just hits so much differently. So to your point, I think it's because I wanted to watch it when I was an adult. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you watch something as a
0: kid and you watch something as an adult. So that would be the answer. I awesome. I mean, it gave me a great excuse to watch it again because it's not something where I'm like, oh, like I, I don't put in the DVD and watch it very often. I don't really like have cable so I don't like scroll through channels looking for something anymore so the opportunity to watch this again just like gave me that jolt of nostalgia but also excitement to actually like sit down and watch this with a more critical eye and kind of like take notes and point out some things that maybe I liked but I could never really put words to before so I want to watch the trailer because that's always an interesting uh, experience when going back in time a little bit and seeing how this was marketed because it wasn't like the most successful Arnold movie of all time, but I think it gained a good cult following over the years because of the things that you mentioned, like the dialogue, the one-liners, kind of the, the prescient commentary on society, sort of like the future looking elements of this story that, I mean, it's set in, 2017 to 2019 and so it's you know 30-40 years in the future from when the story is getting told Um, so I'm curious I haven't seen the trailer in quite a long time but we're going to watch it now so we can kind of figure out what they were trying to tell us back in 1987. Before we get to the trailer it's time for a word from our sponsor. This episode of Bad Movies We Love is brought to you by the all new Prosium Plane Zero. When civil unrest is raging in the streets and starvation and food riots are getting you down, there's only one name you can trust to ease your worries. For decades prosium has been the preferred opiate of the masses it's clinically proven to deliver sweet apathy when the police state has abused its authority eliminated freedom of expression and turned art into contraband and now you can get all the benefits of classic prosium in a new zero calorie zero carb zero sugar zero everything formula approved by ben richards himself now plain zero that's prosium plain zero all the bliss and nothing more You see this okay? Yes. In the year awesome. 2017, an innocent
1: man accused of a crime has a choice hard time mm-hmm. or
2: prime time. Sensational, perfect contestant. <laughs> I want him. He must pay
0: or play the running man. On your mark. I'll be back. Oh, they. Make sure they get his iconic line in the trailer for us. Highest rated TV show in history. <laughs> Cuz they want us to stay.
1: <laughs> 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 it's a game between life and death. <laughs>
0: A lot of those one-liners. Yeah. This movie might have some of like the best Arnold collection George as Ranger a whole of those one-liners.
2: The running man.
0: Oh, yeah. I it, it seems
2: to me like it's almost after every kill too. Mm-hmm. The prize is his life. Oh, I like that one.
0: <laughs> the running man. Good stuff. I want to watch it again right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, that's like okay. So they're telling us like, hey, it's Arnold. He's gonna be you know killing guys, giving zingers, classic Arnold stuff. So I'm surprised that this one didn't really like burst at the box office in the way that some of these other films for him did. So
2: I actually have the numbers in front of me.
0: Please, so this, by all means. Um, the budget for this was estimated at twenty
2: seven million dollars. Okay. And opening weekend, it made eight point one million, and worldwide, it made thirty eight point one million. Over the course of its run. <laughs> now I don't know the number of, of theaters it opened to, but I can only imagine. But that's still incredible. You know, obviously not adjusted for inflation or anything else, but, um, yeah, I mean, there, some some. You know, films are just making that you know thirty eight million dollars in a weekend. I mean, yeah, Guardian has yeah. actually just made twenty six. <laughs> wow. I, I understand it's adjusted for inflation, but it's always fascinating to look at the numbers and what else is out for that um, particular time as well, right? Uh, I don't have that in front of me, but you know, that's the big thing too. When I, it's interesting because when I look at box office, Nick, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's not about the opening weekend for me. I mean, the opening weekend's important, okay? But it's always about the second weekend. So if you look at any film, in in the grand scheme of things, if you're in a studio, you're hoping between to a 40 to 50% drop. You know, 50 is about your average. If it drops off 60 or more, you're in trouble. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's, you know, and we've seen a couple of films have lakes where, you know, it's, you know, it continues to go and it's just mm-hmm. always fascinating to, to see what kind of numbers, because I mean, it's an investment, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, definitely for the people that are footing the bill for it, like you got to have a exactly. return on investment um, so. and it got me a little curious. So I just pulled up the top grossing films of 1987, just out of curiosity and Number 1 was Beverly Hills Cop 2 which did 153 million but in terms of something that I would say is comparable to a Schwarzenegger action movie you got Lethal Weapon that did 65 million uh Predator same year over the summer did 59.7 so 60 million uh and RoboCop did 53 so, surprising to see that Running Man is actually as low on the list uh, as it was, given that like Dragnet made almost 60 million, <laughs> uh, which is yeah. Eastwick grossed over 60. So, I'm just curious if it was maybe like Arnold fatigue setting in, because I was like young at the time, right? And so, it's like he'd had already had Commando, Terminator, Predator, like, there's a lot of. Arnold action films that are already available and then you got one already this year earlier in the year. So, I'm curious if people just were like, "Hey, we already saw Predator, like we're not as invested in seeing Running Man or if it just didn't have the same kind of um footprint in terms of advertising and stuff like that." It was cuz it was a smaller budget than Predator. Oh
2: yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where And, you know, I'm looking at the numbers now. It's very eclectic. I mean, you were talking about the weapon just a minute ago, Predator. You have three men and the baby. You have the untouchables. You have Fatal Attraction. So it's very eclectic as far as
0: uh, genres. Oh, yeah. Very interesting top ten. I mean, because now, like, if we were to look at the top ten for this year, it'd probably be all the things you expect, like Guardians, Ant-Man, Fast and the Furious 10, what other like franchise action genre Mm -hmm. john wick up there so it's like even without looking at it i figure i could probably get at least five of the top 10 you know um but if i had to guess i wouldn't have thought that like fatal attraction outgrossed lethal weapon or predator that year but nice to see that it did i hope we get a comeback to where stuff like fatal attraction is competitive like that and probably not going to happen but i would love to see it yeah
2: definitely i think that um I think that films are all kinds of films, and we're even going to have it this year. You know, the, I mean, this summer is going to be huge. But, um, yeah, it is good to see that you're having the, all kinds of, of films for all kinds of ages to come out and, and support the theater. So, um, you know, I mean, a lot of those films we were just talking about were action films, right? Uh, Leopard, yeah.
0: Com, you know, so...
2: But stuff like Secret Secret of My
0: Success and Untouchables and Fatal Attraction and Platoon, I mean, those are like adult dramas, right? And like, that's kind of like one of the biggest genres that shrunk since the 80s and 90s is just like the rated R adult drama has gone from being something that is a top 10 box office film to being like, hey, this is a second tier film that's lucky to get its money back half the time. And that's kind of like, you know, now that I'm an adult, I'm a little bit sad that like that is not as profitable a genre because we get less of it. But at the same time, there are still good adult dramas getting made. They're just smaller budget, smaller studio, all that stuff. So interesting to look back in time, you know, 35-ish years and see see that. I mean, it's almost 40 years at this point. Yikes. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I just did. It's interesting
2: because I just did a retrospective of um, well, two films. Actually, one was *Return of the Jedi* that turned forty. I went. That tells me I'm And the other one was uh, *Avengers: Infinity War*, turned five this year. And so I just, so I did a whole um, retrospective about that. And really, what it's, it's not only meant for cinema, but society and how we view it. And because once again, I mean, it always go films we always look at films in the here and now, but we always should look at them, you know, on anniversaries, five and ten, twenty years, something. So
0: yeah, you make a good point because I know a lot of people like there's this kind of narrative that's like great films don't get made anymore. And I'm like, I don't think that's true, but also great films from like 1940 have the benefit of 80 years of history telling us that this is a great film. So like a film that comes out today, that's great, like is not going to have that same kind of leverage until we get far enough away from it to start like appreciating it more. And so it's just interesting to see how much like legacy matters to films. And like, as I've started to talk to more and more people about movies in general, like across the world and just online, it's, nice to see that so many people have like legacy relationships with these movies and uh, people that are younger than me actually like that love movies that are significantly older than like our uh, our general time frame from childhood to adulthood so I really like that
2: Yeah, one of my most probably my favorite film of all time hands down I've seen it no joke Nick 67 I can recite the whole film verbatim you Silence of Lambs. Mm, um, and it's because it was so groundbreaking for so many reasons. And when you, I'm all about story. And when you provide a great story to me, it's fantastic. And when you even go deeper and dig deeper into behind the scenes stuff and how this was done, and so the budget for that, and how they got this actor, actress, and whatever else, it's so fascinating. And I, you know, I, I did a whole, that was so, I actually do have. A, um, a series on my channel, okay? It's called Perfect Movies. And so, as a matter of fact, tomorrow I'm going to be recording The Dark Knight. I just watched The Dark Knight last night. But in this series, Nick, I talk about all of these films, not only the longevity of them, but they're all amazing films. So in February, I did Silence and Lamps. I did Captain America When It's Silver. I did Heat. I did you know, the social network. I'm going to do The Dark Knight. I'm going to do Spotlight. So the point is that these films, while they're critically acclaimed and everything else, and obviously, I have to say this up front, films subjective. Mm-hmm. So, but all of that being said, I think that everybody can basically get around the idea that, oh, yeah, this movie is very good. And so this is why I show um, certain aspects of the film in different ways. And so getting back to my point, Silence of the Lambs was the very first film that I did for the Perfect Movie Series, but it was also fascinating because it turned 30. Was it 92 or 91? Well, it was done in 91, and the Academy Awards were in 92. And the thing is that it is still the last Big Five winner. So, And there's only been three films in all of cinema. Ever to win the big five, and that's it happened director, 1934.
0: director, screenplay, picture, actor, actress. Correct. Gotcha. Correct.
2: Uh, this is the first time everything everywhere, everywhere all at once was actually the closest in quite a long time. Um. So it were only three films. It happened one night in 1934, 1975, one flew of the cuckoo's nest, and 1991, two, well, 91, that was the Land. But, yeah, so it's
0: just one of those films. So getting back to Running Man, which is why we're here today. Yeah. Uh, I think, like, I didn't realize, like, that this movie was set, like, basically in our present day. I mean, it's 2017, 2019, but I'm going to say, for sake of argument, it's set during our modern day. And interestingly enough they're talking about the economy collapsing they're talking about resources running out they're talking about state-run tv being the only option i'm like wow i was like they're really thinking about this in 1987 and they're not (laughs) that far off as it turns out as we're going through uh recession as we've had instances of food shortages and to- toilet paper shortages and all kinds of weird stuff over the last five years so very very prescient storytelling uh back in 1987 and i never read the book but i'm curious like how much of that was at the forefront of that story because it's a stephen king book that's written as uh richard bachman and it's funny i've read that one of the producers that like bought the rights to it didn't even know that it was stephen king when he bought the story. So he was just like, oh, I just wanted to tell this story. Um, very interesting there, but also like Arnold is part of like a military state kind of thing going on. And I just, I, I found it to be a lot more telling than I was probably dialed into when I watched it in, you know, the late eighties, early nineties.
2: Yeah. Uh, actually, so a couple of notes I took right off the top. Um, Was very Fahrenheit 451. Mm, Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, we have what was going down in Florida and everything else, but more importantly, like, and you hit on all these notes and it's just so relevant today. I think it's interesting when films can actually touch upon something, you know, I mean, this was done in 1987. So it's like when you're able to watch something 30, 40 years later and go, oh my God, that's the same thing that's happening today. I mean, the one thing I can think of with wall street you know mm. wall street was one of those other films that really was so ahead of its time and this this film here was so ahead of its time you put it perfectly i mean it's the same like the, the military state right
0: yeah it was the like they're, they're they're banning certain uh books music yep. burning, i mean like I, books. We're, we're hearing that every day in the news like about different states that are starting to ban different things and I mean, like stuff that's being considered contraband and the sort of like nanny state big brother effect of it all of, I mean, like out here in California, when we're going through the drought, like they were encouraging you to like, oh, if your neighbor's watering his lawn on a day that he's not supposed to be watering it, you should call the water police. And I'm just like, okay, we've gotten into like a weird territory where like... You know, I don't need to be tattling on my neighbor. Like you're going to see his water bill. Like you don't need me involved in this process whatsoever. Just if you're the state government and you don't want them, you know, wasting water, then do your job.
2: Yeah. Um, I gotta ask. So I know you have said you've seen this a few times. Mm -hmm. With one of the first, what did you think of Richard Dawson? I love him in this movie. He's great. I mean, yeah, I I agree. I mean, I. So, as I said, I'm a game show fan. I think Dawson was perfect for its for the time. Um, because, you know, I mean, he was a, a game show host for several years. And it's mm-hmm. just, I couldn't imagine. And it's, this is one of those movies, Nick, that basically you couldn't imagine anybody else playing the role. I mean, I know we always say that. But it's like, try and imagine another game show host at the time. Playing this evil, conniving, maniacal
0: villain. Mm. Um, No, he's so good in this that I think him being such a good villain and being such a good like smarmy TV executive, like really hits those notes on the head. And like you said, his experience coming from television, like. He understood that business at the time already, anyway. And like, he knows what makes for good TV. He knows the notes to hit with the character and like how to interact with the producers of the show and how being the star of the show kind of gives you the power to dictate who's doing what behind the scenes. So I don't know that there's anybody else that could have matched his level of uh, smarm to be. Killian, and it's like they gave him a name like Damon Killian, it's like one of the most evil, like villain names you could think of. <laughs> but yeah. uh, are you up for some trivia since you mentioned Richard Dawson uh, as a game show host? Yes, time for trivia. Yes. All right, let's do some trivia. It's only three questions, but okay. uh, the first question is Richard Dawson, who plays the running man host Damon Killian, hosted Family Feud, but he was a panelist on another game show. Do you know what that game show was? That was Yeah. Ding, ding. All right. One for one. I like that. Uh, so question number two, who choreographed the opening dance number for The Running Man? Not it was Paul Abdul. It was Paul Abdul. Look at that. Two for two. All right. You're doing good. All right. Last one. Uh, which apparel company is branded on The Running Man jumpsuits? It's adidas. it is adidas ding ding that's three for three trifecta complete good job man I, I had it. thank you I had it. <laughs> but um yeah
2: no it's so i sat through the whole credits because i think when we watch films i think there's a tendency to when the film's over we just get up and leave but there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that work on these productions whether it's set design or it's you know even behind the scenes, and music, or you know, sound, or whatever else. So um, I happen to notice, you know, Alejandro was one of one of the things. If you let me ask you this question: Did you watch the credits all the way through? No. Okay. So, <laughs> if here's here's the thing: if you watch the credits all the way through, there's it's there are a couple Easter eggs there. Okay, so they actually have sponsorships. So the sponsors were after the credits. Um, this is sponsored by. Um. So there, there were a couple of different. Okay. Um, breakaway paramilitary suits. Okay, <laughs> they have so they have the supply of breakaway para paramilitary supplies. Okay, and they had and they talk about you know this is. The guns are sponsored by Smith and Wesson and whatever else. So you actually get to hear some, excuse me, some of the Easter eggs that actually that they put in there because back then there wasn't really anything that you know was a standalone and you know everything else. But it was always
0: fascinating to hear, right? So that's awesome. uh yeah, I watched it on streaming this time, so it's like, you know, when you get to the credits in a movie, it's mm-hmm. like, hey, here's what's up next, and if you don't touch anything, like this other movie's going to start. So I always end up in that zone. Had I put on the DVD, maybe I would have watched the whole thing or gone to like the special features or something like that to see what else was there, but for some reason I was like, oh, hey, look, I can find it easily on streaming, let me just do it. But yeah, that's very interesting to hear. Uh and I know that like the product placement throughout the show or throughout the movie, I should say as well, with uh like Cadre Cola and like when they have the when they're filling up like the ladies' arms with all these like giveaway items, uh mm-hmm. as she as she's winning during the show, uh, all those little tidbits of like the production design having to come up with here's like this game and this game and this thing we're giving you like a toaster, <laughs> yeah, uh it's stuff that I really like and I mean when I do this show I have my uh quote unquote sponsors. But it's all stuff like that as well. So that's one of the things that I like the most about doing this show is taking the time to sit down and come up with that stuff. Uh, When we first get introduced uh, to Arnold in this movie, like we see him in the military capacity and then he ends up in like, what's a military prison? And he there's a scene like very early on where he just like picks up like an iron beam. It probably weighs like several hundred pounds and it's just carrying that thing around like it's styrofoam. And I'm like, Oh my God, like they're really making him out to be like incredibly strong. And later on we get to the point where they kind of like shoot him with like muscle relaxers or stuff like reverse steroids basically <laughs> to weaken him so that he's not as strong. And he still ends up killing everybody in the movie. So <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I guess it didn't work that much, but I, I guess I didn't like connect it because Like you see him like working in the prison and like he's sleeveless. So it's like, of course, like you're showing off his physique because it's Arnold. But I just I guess I didn't connect that like that iron girder that he's carrying is probably way heavier than a human being would be able to carry on. their own. (laughs) There's a reason they use cranes to put buildings together and not just an army of Arnold Schwarzeneggers.
2: Yeah. Um, No, I just there's a couple of things I noticed that really cool about this. Number one, the travel pass. If yeah. It was only that simple, right? You just, you know, swipe your little pass. Okay. I mean, you know, it's online. It kind of is that simple, but it's one of those things where you just, it's, I mean, it's a different kind of simple, that makes sense. You know, you type in a couple of keys, hit enter. You have your ticket, you fly wherever you want. But this is just, you swipe it. It's your personal thing. And that was something. But the other thing too was um, the the shots of the sleds. I mm-hmm. so we always talk about the camera work and everything else. This to me, because and being able to edit all of those things, we even saw some of this in the trailer, right? Mm-hmm. And being able to edit all of these things in in real time—well, not in real time, but after the fact—is very difficult. I can only imagine how they're able to put cameras there, and you know. The actors had to be able to get their facial features, you know, just right to do that.
0: Um, But that was very cool. That was very cool.
2: And how they were able to capture that all the way
0: down. Yeah, there's always part of me that's like, I want to ride that. Like, put me on the sled with the rockets and launch me down that tunnel. I mean, that does look like fun, but also a little bit terrifying, depending on how fast you're going. Because when they come shooting out the bottom side, it's like they hit that net. And I was like, oh, man, this guy's going to have whiplash so bad from (laughs) that from that immediate stop. But it still looks like so much fun on the way down, uh, at least up until that part where you slam on the brakes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the the practical effects like that across the board are all pretty good. And I had a friend that had uh, seen this for the first time as an adult, like a couple months ago. And he was like, how did they do the exploding head? with the collar like in the prison where the guy's running away and I was like yeah how did they do that I mean I have a pretty good idea of how they did it but just nice to see that someone who had never seen the movie sees it almost 40 years down the line and is still like asking questions of like almost like a sleight of hand magician where it's like you see it right in front of your face and you know that like he's not He's not like a wizard, you know, you know that he's just using tricks like that are right in front of you and that are available and still is able to deceive you. So I think a testament to not just how they executed it, but the whole design of that shot and the sequencing of, you know, that like someone's head is definitely going to get blown off if they pass this kind of radar checkpoint. And to see that, of course, it's like some guy that is not really part of their crew is the one to make that sacrifice on accident. They try and warn him, but he gets a little antsy and then he gets his head blown off. Uh, So they let you know very early on, like, hey, these collars are not to be trifled with. And we will blow your head off if you cross us the wrong way.
2: Well, I, I think the thing, too, is like, I mean, we even see this, you know, even one of the next scenes. When they go to mix right and he Mm -hmm. lose the collar and he he has to be extremely careful to you know stay away from it but i mean that effect today if if this were made today it's always fascinating but this if this were made today that have not cgi and the best cgi even the best cgi wouldn't be able to replicate something that was actually practical to a certain i mean obviously special effects. But to you know, they put in much more work back then in 1987 make that effect go boom than just you know CDI. And yeah. I think that can be a lazy way sometimes to oh if we, we don't know how to okay, we'll just use CGI. It's
0: yeah. a good point and I always have a stronger appreciation for commitment to doing things as practically as possible because I think it benefits the film by having, The actors on screen have something like physical to react to whereas when you do it in CGI it's like okay like pretend you saw this guy's head explode and then like we'll just we'll edit it together so that it looks like you did really see that stunt that we just pulled
2: yeah I just I don't know Uh, that's just it's one of those things where looks good CGI when it happens it's great it's fantastic but there's nothing that gets, there's nothing like practical effects. And I think, you know, you, know, you just take a look at a movie like a Top Gun member. That was done yeah. practically. Were there CGI skins? Because I actually went to a Q&A with um, Joseph Kaczynski.
1: Mm,
2: and he cool. talked about how some of the, you know, because there wasn't an F-14 in commission. So he did use skins for some of the planes. But the majority of that, 85 to 90% of that, the actors in the planes flying the planes and what they had to go through and when you see the editing and how it's done and everything else you go that's incredible so you can there's nothing there's nothing like practical effects there's nothing like it
0: absolutely and you'd mention also that they go to this guy mick to get their collars taken off and this just happens to be mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac and you know, I knew that, but in watching it this time, I was like, is he playing himself? And there are some rumors that he's playing a version of himself because they have a scene where he's kind of like talking to Arnold while he's taking the collar off. And he's like, Oh yeah, you're the one that like, you know, arrested all of my friends and burned my songs. You're one of the cops that you just, you took it. you're one of the cops that burned my songs took this country and turned it into a jail.
2: And I thought that that was so apropos, not only for the time back then, but even today, I and mean, we were just speaking about it. So I wrote down a couple of quotes, but yeah, that's, I actually had no idea that was Mick Fleetwood. Yeah. So I mean, that, like I'm a that, big, I'm a
0: big Fleetwood Mac fan. I have a couple of uh, mix solo albums that are not part of that as well. And like, I grew up with that music, but it wasn't until sort of later in life that I connected the dots that like that was him. And then I'm like, wait, his character's also named Mick. And they gave him like they aged him up with the makeup a little bit so that it's like, okay, in 2017, he's looking even older than he is like in 1987, where it's like he's an adult, but not an old man. So I'm like, maybe it really is him playing himself. And to do that as the director, to bring in this guy to be this role. And like what it's saying is that a guy who is a creative, like a musician who's really like not a soldier at all, is the kind of person that is now taking up arms against the current military state. So I feel like it was a much uh, deeper message than I was able to pick up on uh, when I was a kid, and there's a moment of dialogue when Arnold first kind of separates from the other two when they break out of the prison when he gets away from Laughlin and uh Weiss, is it Weiss? I think yes, yeah. Yes. And he says like they ask him to like join the cause, and he's like, "No, I'm not interested in politics. I'm just trying to survive." And one of them says something back to him like, "There's not a choice" or something like that. But I. I thought that it was very interesting then too to see that like he's not interested in politics, but like, there's kind of no way out of it. Like his survival is based on like what his view of the world and how it's being conducted is going to shake out. So he ultimately comes full circle and ends up joining the cause with them. Uh, so that little bit of dialogue earlier actually like sets up his whole character arc. And I thought that was very interesting and poignant as well Given what the story itself is of this military state, him being an ex cop and just kind of like going through the motions of like he didn't he he didn't question his position as, you know, an officer until they asked him to do something that was like amoral and evil. And then he was like, okay like I see it. But then even after being in jail for it, he's like, eh, I just rather like not be a part of it, not, hey, let me fight the system. And then it's like gradually as he gets closer and closer to these guys and they work their way through the running man, he finally talks to Mick and he's like, "What do you say these guys are kids. Like they need someone who's a leader. And it's like, okay, well, you're here. So you ready for this? (laughs) No,
2: that's what he says. He's like, I thought you were looking for the door. Mm,
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, like I liked that that was like stitched together throughout the whole plot. And then you kind of like, Bring it all the way full circle to when he finally like takes the machine gun and leads them into the studio for the Running Man. So I really like that a lot more uh, this time around as well.
2: Um. Yeah. No, I totally agree with them. Actually, you know, it's interesting because two of the the stalkers, you know, were former. I mean, there one was a former wrestler, mm-hmm. Jesse Ventura, and unfortunately, we just lost uh, Fireball Jim Brown. Not to. Not too long ago mm-hmm. and it's always you know everybody knows him for his athletic prowess and what he did i mean he was a phenomenal you know outspoken you know for the, the certain causes which you know were fantastic but just a small role that he had and this was just magnificent and they all took they all had their little roles mm-hmm. i mean you had you know sub-zero and you had fireball and you had diamond and just it was just awesome captain freedom i mean i loved you know one of the one of the things i wrote down was the captain freedom workout
0: oh my god you know, so months. funny i wanted to just like have that video available like because he's basically doing you know calisthenics that were super popular during the 80s and he's like richard simmons at that point but that's our introduction to jesse ventura's captain freedom is through what we're seeing on the tv And so it's like, we don't know at that point that he's a retired stalker, that he's like not only a retired stalker, but like the retired stalker. And the last moment of that sort of like uh, exercise video where he comes up and like flexes in front of the camera and then like throws his head back and runs off. That was so funny. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe like I never really picked up on how. Intelligently funny, the design of this character in this situation actually is because, like I said, you don't know who he is at that point, really. So, having the context of like, oh, this is this guy, he's about honor and like blood, he's like, this is a sport of gladiators. So, to see that guy doing that exercise video in the beginning, it's like it does take a second watch at least to get the context of that moment in the beginning. But oh my god, so funny!
2: I just thought of something. And I, I don't know if
0: this was had any basis on
2: it or whatever, but there was another popular little show back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, obviously they didn't kill anybody, but it was kind of like a game show for contestants and everything else. Mm-hmm. And it was American Gladiators, Which was inspired by this movie. Okay, so, okay. So I, I didn't know that until I just thought
0: of that one. Wait a minute, I basically. know. As, as I was watching well, it, the I... the reason I bring
2: that up is because they're doing a 30 for
0: 30 on um, ESPN.
2: Oh, they wow. talking about
0: inside. OK, so I, that's going to be he- awesome. Like, I have to see that because a uh, little side note, one year for my birthday, my uh, brother had gotten me the season one American Gladiators DVD. And I was like, ah, you know, like it wasn't something that I asked for. It wasn't something that I had on my radar, but I popped it in and watched it. And like the very first pilot episode is so insanely violent because these guys didn't really like know what the show was yet. So it's like nobody knew to hold back or it's uh, they didn't know. So it was like it was like full contact football without the pads. uh, And it was just crazy to see the gladiators like really have no rules on how they treat the contestants and the contestants not really knowing like how physical the game was going to be until they got in there. So it was very, very interesting to see it. And then they tried to bring it back like, what, 10 years ago? And it just it was short lived for a year or so. But yeah. Uh, the first uh, version of American Gladiators in nineteen eighty nine, so two years after this movie. So I mean, makes sense why I liked American Gladiators at the time. Yeah,
2: too. yeah, uh, that's that's fascinating. I, I had no idea. No, I just thought of that, but uh, it's it's this just has all of the the elements that you want in a fun, campy movie. It's violent. I mean, I th- you know what I think it is. At the end of the day, it's you know we talk about this film. The end of the film. So after everybody studio's all cleared out, you see Killian trying to, you know, go up the steps. And Ben says, Somebody's in deep trouble. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so he basically he says, you know, so the other guy comes walking out and he laughs. And he's so after he leaves, he's like, Look, it's just about, you know, television. It's about violence and it's about sports and it's about you know, we wean our kids on television. We tell them what to eat. We tell them what to drink. We tell them what to wear. And it's all about being number one. And that's so prevalent today, Nick, because every single, I mean, it's different to a certain extent. I mean, the networks were, you know, you only had four real channels back then, ABC, yeah. CBS, NBC, and Fox. And it's like they were all trying to be number one. But it is true. We do wean our kids on television. They do sit down and watch these advertisements for whether it's, you know, Coca-Cola or, you know, whatever it is. And they emulate this stuff. And it's just so fascinating to see, you know, once again, we go back to the dialogue, but like 25, 30 years later, and it's like, wow, how prevalent is that? Because it's so true.
0: Yeah. And I would also say we're probably at a time in history where we now have more reality TV than ever. I mean, survivors in like season 30 something, which is like staggering. Uh, Basically, every streaming service like has its own version of some reality show or another. And with the writer strike, if that doesn't get resolved, we're going to get deeper and deeper into more and more reality content because you can produce it and put it out without having the same situation with the writers. So. That's actually how, and you're right, that's actually how reality television started. Yeah.
2: I just sat down with um, Jeremy Fowler of The Rap. Oh, nice. Awesome. And um, we were talking about, I mean, we talked about a numerous, a number of things, but we talked about the strike. And, you know, I was always of the opinion that this was going to be an 11th hour thing. It was either going to be an 11th hour thing or it was going to go on in a long time. And I asked Jeremy, I said, so how long do you think this could last? Because everybody is, you know, there are so many, it's not like it's a small little gap here and there. And they're like, okay, let's just compromise in between and get it done. So I asked him, I said, how long do you think this could last? And he said until the end of the summer. So, I mean, wow. we're talking, if, if this is true, we're talking about September, you know, August, September, you know, and this is gonna be a big, big thing. And you're right. This, you know, all of the major the four networks that I was just referring to, they've all done their schedule, quote, and this is my term, quote, strike proof. Mm. So that they have all of this television
0: that they can just throw in
2: there as filler until they can get this thing
0: resolved. And I think the last time there was a writer strike, it lasted like a hundred days. That sound just, right. Correct. Yeah. So just that's it, three days. months. Yep. Like that's not a short period of time, like for television at all, especially with these shows that like film weekly. And I know people that work in the industry, so it's going to affect them because they're going to be off work. I think SAG just authorized their strike as well. Is that right? Yes. So yep. they're, they're joining them on the picket line. So it's going to be really interesting to see it all shake out. But I mean, just give the writers what they want. They're the ones who are producing the content anyway. So if they want residuals because you're showing their work, give them the residuals.
2: No, I, I totally agree. I mean, they, they are the backbone. They are the unsung heroes. They are the people behind the scenes of all of this stuff. And when you don't have good stories, that, that hampers everything down the road, you know, whether it's productions or how it's developed or anything else. And, Look, you know, it's I hate to say it, it's about money. This is this is all you know. At the end of the day, it always is about money. We always talk about it, but at the end of the day, when the average person—I'm not to say we're not average—but they don't look at They look at all of these writers, all of these people. That's their day job. Yeah, I mean, and that's how they get paid—is by getting residuals and everything else. And I think that. If especially with inflation. I mean, there's something else to be considered here we're not talking about. Inflation has killed this economy for the past four or five years. I mean, it was as high as 9.5% a couple years ago. And I mean, it's six bucks for a gallon of gas in Los Angeles. Mm. Um, You know, I mean, when you're making 45, 50 grand a year trying to survive, you know, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, pay them what they are worth. And, the, you know,
1: this is just going to
0: be a stalemate. And, you know, it, it's sad, but it's, you know, it's true. It is. And oddly enough, I think there is a little bit of connective tissue with what this story of this film tells us about TV, because what they show us is that the public is easily manipulated by what's on TV. So if what you do is you just plug into the TV and like that's your only source of anything, then yeah, like what the TV tells you is basically gospel at at that point. But you would also mention like we're from that era where we're kind of like plunked down in front of the TV and the TV is the babysitter, right? So it also shows us uh, how very aware the filmmakers were of the power that the TV has to sort of anesthetize the public. Because in the world that this is taking place, there is economy going to shit, there's resource uh, management issues going on, there's all kinds of like social turmoil in the streets. And the only thing that's basically preventing full blown riots is the fact that everybody wants to watch this one crazy TV show. And so it's like TV is the opiate of the masses, uh, in that case. And when it comes down to like these networks not having anything for the summer it's like you know basketball is basically over so you'll get a you know a week or so of the nba finals the nhl is coming to an end at the same time uh and then you just got baseball and so you're not gonna cbs is not gonna have football until the fall end of summer uh fox is not gonna have football until that time and then like really what do these networks do When they don't have any of that, are they just going to drown us with more reality television or are they going to realize that their bread and butter is really the stuff that gets produced by the writers? And so I hope it gets resolved before 100 days because it is a lot of people's livelihoods that are at stake. And it's not just about like, oh, you know, we want what we're worth, which it totally is. But at the same time, like these are people's jobs. It's not just like this selfish endeavor to get more money, I don't think.
2: No, absolutely, and it's one of those things where it's interesting that you bring that up because we see in the film, like because of course they're you know place your bets, place your bets, and on the first one, of course they take the stalker, and the second one they take the stalker, and then they start believing, they start believing in Richards, Mm -hmm. and when they start believing in Richards, then they you know you have that one guy come up. Two hundred on Richards, uh-huh. and they both look at each other like, "Well, I don't know if we." And so they take it, and then everybody starts betting on Richards, and it's like it totally turns. And at the very end, the near in the third act, and they say they're betting on him out there. What do you think's going on? And it's one of those things where you see them start to, as you put it, implode, and they see this thing start to crumble right before in front of their eyes, and. um It's always fascinating to see how that kind of thing, all it takes is one or two type of little things, and the moss starts to get removed, and then the ball starts to get rolling. Once it starts to get rolling, it gains momentum. Once it gains momentum, Mm -hmm. that's how these things happen. And it's just fascinating to see that, you know, I mean, and those are the believers that you have to have. It's true in anything, too. But I think that at the end of the day, this movie, and we've been touching upon it, there's so many, it's so real in so many different ways today. It, it's just, I won't say revolutionary, but with its time, it was ahead of its time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think maybe that was probably one of the biggest reasons it didn't succeed at the time because in like it didn't fail, but it didn't have like massive success and I think probably one of those reasons is that it was maybe a little too ahead of its time. Like some of these concepts were not maybe as palatable in 1987 as we have, you know, the benefit of hindsight for the past 30 years or so. Um but yeah, it stood out to me a lot more watching it this time. And I love that it was that uh, older lady who was like the number one fan of the running man who like had front, she had front row seats. <laughs> he,
2: that was taken right out of, out of Family Feud because he had a number one fan for. Oh, wow. um, so I wrote it down, has a number one fan, just like Family Feud shows how the media or anyone can be manipulated for their benefit. But so he actually did have really a number one fan That had been to almost every single taping of Family Feud.
0: That's awesome. And
2: I mean he he acknowledged her a couple times. But yeah, that was straight out of straight out of the game show. They took elements of all these different game shows and they put it in the running game. So for example, you had all these prizes you were talking about earlier. That's straight out of the prices, right? Um, you have, you know, Dawson himself, you know, having the number one fan. That was right out of Family Feud. I mean, there's a couple of different elements that they used, and it was it's just really cool. So, yeah. And I think that's
0: it's always interesting to see. Another thing that I think stands out to me a little bit more, since I you know I don't watch as much like basketball and baseball and these other sports as I could, but I still can't avoid seeing the trailer or excuse me the trailers the commercials for bet mgm uh draft however many different like gambling websites that are now connected to sports and how the crossover like it's not even subtle anymore where it's like we know that people like betting on sports but that's just kind of going to be like a vegas thing now it's like No, we want gambling and sports to be as interlaced as possible. When they're doing the broadcast for sports now, it's like, oh, the live odds on this fight right now are plus 250. You can go to DraftKings right now and place a bet on this fight that's happening that you're watching. So it's become interlaced in a way that we see in this film that like in the show, the contest, not the contestants, but the people in the audience kind of get to bet on who's competing in the running man and then outside of that there's like the black market thing where they got the big chalkboard and they're all gambling in cash out in the streets and i was like wow i was like they really understood very well like the nature of live competition and gambling on those live competitions you know who now even you know
2: who even has the sponsorship to that
0: is the wwe do they really yes wow you can bet on yeah, a scripted they, event? That's crazy. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, <laughs> like
2: and that's part of it. I mean, that was the whole part of it, too, back, you know, speaking of the running man, it was, like, everything rolled up into one. It was football. It was wrestling. It was, you know, athletics. It was, you know, American Gladiators, football, everything. But, yeah, WWE, when they, when they do their, it's mostly for, um, like, their pay-per-views. And whatever else. But like who's going to win
0: the Royal Rumble.
2: Exactly. Who's going to win the Royal Rumble and everything else. But, of course, it's all predetermined.
0: Yeah, That's you could people, have some serious I, insider trading. I,
2: I love watching it. I love watching it just for the storyline. I know it's big. The athleticism. That's why I like watching sports. It's for, you know, It's I it's, do I have a couple of favorite teams? Yeah, sure. But it's more of the athleticism. I want to see what these people can actually do against one another and um but yeah, I, when I saw that, I just went and that's the thing, and people don't just bet their money and it's already predetermined and I'm like
0: okay cool. yeah, and even in sports where it's not like you know so during football season, every commercial break is a different casino telling me that like gambling is good, but then if I have a problem, I got to call this hotline well, no, that's the thing that's the caveat, right because <laughs>
2: They, they have to say, oh, go gamble on this, you know, whatever. And then on the, if you always watch, it's interesting, you always watch the fine print, if you, below it says, you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLING. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you go to any casino, walk into any casino, Las Vegas, Atlantic City, anywhere in this country, they're always going to have all of these things for it. But on the bottom, it says, you know, because they have to, yeah. that's the thing, they have to, because... If I'm somebody who's going to put, let's say, $3,000 on something, and then, you know, it's, I put it down, I put my bet down, and I lose, okay? And they say, well, you never said that, you know, you never told me where to go if I had a problem with this. And it's always one of those things where you don't know you have a problem until you lose everything, <laughs> or, you know, you hope not. Sadly, but, yeah. So, they have to say, okay, well, if you're gambling too much, if you think you have a problem, go over here.
0: Yeah, and we it's see uh, we saw we see with like big events like uh like game sevens, NBA finals, like big fights, sometimes uh WrestleMania's World Series stuff like that, they always pan around and they show you like who the big celebrities are in the audience and so they like they make it this event thing and then they want you betting on and they're like oh yeah by the way like floyd mayweather bet like a hundred thousand dollars on the heat to win game seven or something like that and they show you that in the broadcast so you know like even though you're not the one with the money on the line like you know somebody is playing with a lot of money riding on this game so it's very interesting to like add that element to the storytelling of the game itself, because it's like all of a sudden, like maybe you're cheering for Floyd to lose that money, or maybe you want to see the heat cover that like four points, because it means that he's going to get paid out really well.
2: I 25 bucks in the Celtics the other night, oh. not in game seven, <laughs> but on game six. Hey, there and you go. Like, okay. They're going to, you know, they're going to, because it was eight and a half. I mean, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but it was, it was a decent spread. I went, okay, they're going to, they're going to, I, so I bet the money line. So the money line for anybody who's unfamiliar is that you bet them to win. You don't bet them, you know, spread. And I lost. And I'm like, okay, it was twenty five. I hadn't done that in years. I've had some bad experiences, not high dollar experiences, but I've had some bad experiences. And I just went, yeah, okay, I'll never do that again. But it was one of those things where that's a huge thing of sports too. Huge thing of sports. Absolutely. And so, as a matter of fact. A couple of years ago, um the, the Jeopardy champion, James Holstouser, I believe his name is, he's a gambler. Oh. He's a professional gambler. Wow. And I mean he won I don't know, like one and a half million dollars on Jeopardy. And he you know he won like 35, 36 games and everything else. And for the longest time, and you gotta understand, if they take these things, they do like two a day. So he was going for like three. And, you know, he became a natural sensation. And, you know, I mean, he doesn't need the money now. But it's one of those things where if everybody was trying to figure out, well, how is, he, how is he winning? What is he doing? Because, I mean, if you watch the games, it's like he was an encyclopedia, right? Mm. I mean, I actually tried out for Jeopardy once. And at the time, with the, there was 50 questions on 50 different subjects. And you had to get eighty-five percent correct just to advance. I mean, I never got past the first thing. But it's one because you have to be so well-rounded. But they were all trying to figure out what James was doing, how who is um, what his strategy was. He was a Texas Holder player. Oh, but he played poker. I love poker. But it's, it's different. That being said, they were all trying to figure out what he was trying to do. And then finally, he lost, and it's like, okay, he's made his money, you know, but. Hey, good for him yeah no i mean that's it's so fascinating that's why i love game shows more than jeopardy is the only game show that's like trivia based that you have to
0: really think about mm-hmm. but
2: yeah
0: basically. and some of those like gambling incentives have started to spill over into game shows and reality tv as well and the popularity of fantasy sports has made it very easy for that too and you know, I haven't done it a lot, but I know that there's uh for stuff where there's like eliminations, like uh, the Bachelor and Bachelorette, for example, like mm-hmm. those have fantasy leagues. And I we, we did like a loose one because my girlfriend, she really wanted me to watch it because her and her friend used to get together and like watch it every Monday. And I was like, the only way I'm watching this is if like we draft fantasy teams. And we do it my way. And so we did that and we had a lot of fun with it, uh, but we never ended up going back to it. But I found out like after the fact that I think ESPN like had their own fantasy bachelor fantasy bachelorette. So it's just interesting to see how much kind of that like sports gambling mentality has spilled over into everything. Cause fantasy sports are huge right now. Oh, huge, huge business. I, I remember 20 years ago, I was, I
2: did a, I paid like $250. This is 20 years. But, I mean, I, I came about that close away from winning the whole thing because wow. I tied one week with somebody because, I mean, I just, I was stacked. This is when I had, like, Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, Edron James. I mean, I was stacked. yeah. And I ended up tying one week in ties because they had gotten more points. It was some tiebreaker, and I ended up out of the playoffs where I would have won I think I would have won like I would have split it with my buddy. I think I would have won like two grand. Nice. But um, no, yeah, there there are people out there that they do this for a living. I mean, they have these. They go buy these, you know, ten, fifteen dollar manuals. Do the. I mean, I was talking about budget earlier. Numbers. Mm -hmm. They do the numbers. Yeah. And then they actually go through, and they'll you know say okay, first, second, third, and they'll go through the drafting. And then when it comes draft day, so to speak, they'll draft. And then, you know, if they don't win, they always play like second or they always make money. Always. Even if it's a small amount or just make their money back, they always make it.
0: Um, like my god. That's stay in the that's black. Crazy. That's all you can do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but to bring it full circle, when I, I run my my home fantasy league for fantasy football. And each year it's like I'm kind of doing like a different like theme for it. And so last year it was like sci-fi futuristic. And so when I did the announcement of the draft picks, like where you're picking in the draft order, I used the running man intro, the the dance scene and the music. And I cut together the edit so that like right before they, I started announcing the picks, it's Killian going like, it's showtime, uh, so, to bring it full circle, like that's how much I love the Running Man is that I that's took ridiculous. that whole extended, like choreographed dance sequence and just put it in there for fun uh, mm-hmm. and just sent it out like privately in email. But to bring it back to uh, Running Man, we talked about like there's a lot of one liners in this movie, like maybe pound for pound, most loaded with Arnold one liners in terms of Arnold movies. And I'm curious, what is your favorite? From this
2: movie, that's that's a tough one. There are a lot of puns. It is Uh, because the I'll be back when when he's about to go up, you know, about to shoot off. I mean that that's his. He's always done that in Terminator and I'll be back. But I think, um, you know, I we saw a little clip of it in the uh, trailer where he's like, you know, here's a light, you know. So when he throws the fireball, (laughs) you know, and uh, but. It, it seems to after every single kill, you know, I mean, I think the worst pun of them all, honestly, was when they beat Sub-Zero and he's it, like, you know, here's Sub-Zero, now Plane Zero. I'm like,
0: okay. That's my favorite because of how bad it is, because it makes no <laughs> sense. He kills him and then he just goes, here's Plane Zero. And he looks at the camera like with this look of satisfaction, like he just delivered like the best joke of all time. And it's like, what? Plain zero? Like, yeah, I get that, it.
1: Exactly. Like I, yeah. You're
0: trying to say, like, oh, he's just a zero now because he's dead. But, like, the whole delivery of that just <laughs> it cracks me up every time I watch it. And I know that it's the worst one, but I can't help myself.
2: Yeah. Or, you know, one of the great things, too, is, like, the scene after Buzzsaw, when, when he kills Buzzsaw and still killing, basically comes on the camera. And, you know, he's like, he offers him a, a job as a stalker. Mm. He's like, I'm going to take this camera and I'm going to shove it down and save it because I'm going to shove this contract along with this camera right down your throat. And he takes it. i pretty hefty. I mean, not as big as the beam. A pretty hefty camera and just slams
0: yeah. it. Like, whoa. You know. He's like, I'm right, gonna break yeah. your goddamn spine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's a good one. Because uh, he's like, he's actually like angry in the moment, and it's like they give him like an actual piece of dialogue. It's not just like, hey, light bulb, hey, Christmas tree. Like they give him a sentence I, to I say. Thought,
2: I thought Lightbright would be better.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I mean, I guess they weren't thinking that far ahead. I know Lightbright was popular during the 80s too. Yeah, would have exactly been, been would have been an easy layup, but maybe they're like, <laughs> well, this is taking place in 2017, so no one's using yeah. Lightbrights then. Uh, But we've come to the time in the show where we go over to Critics Corner and we take a look at some of the negative reviews and some of the positive ones uh, that accompany this film and give it its meta score of 45, which is low, but not the lowest I've done on this show. And I think this movie is like a six something on IMDb. So honestly, like that's pretty solid. But critics obviously didn't think highly of this film. So we get to jump into those right now. And we're going to start with uh, Destin Thompson from the Washington Post. Gave it a 30 out of 100. And he says. You want to know if The Running Man is a good time macho show, right? Stay at home and watch professional wrestling or Miami Vice from the same director. Sure, there's blood spattering and bullets riddling and big boys banging biceps. But through the dry ice haze, Running Man is surprisingly boring. Of all the things the Running Man is not is boring. I mean, it may have all of those, like, maybe it's like a little bit lowbrow and maybe dumb for some people. But, like, the movie's not boring. It's entertaining the whole way through. So, And I feel like I got more out of it this time than I did when I was younger. So, I can't agree with that guy at all. There was, there
1: Uh, was a lot of action
0: there was let's see that's a 30 so we've got we got three scores that are all a 40 out of 100 and i'll let you pick between tv guide magazine variety or timeout london variety variety there's no uh author attributed but it says the format works only on a pure action level with some exciting but overly repetitious roller coaster style sequences of runners hurtling into the game through tunnels on futuristic sleds. Schwarzenegger uh, sadistically dispatches the baddies, enunciating typical wisecrack remarks, many repeated from his previous films, but it's all too easy, despite the casting of such powerful presences as Jim Brown and former wrestlers Jesse Ventura and Professor Toru Tanaka. Uh, And yeah, I mean, I guess they do kind of like go through Jim Brown, like his fireball just like kind of shows up and dies almost immediately. So like the fact that he was like the last stalker and so like he's got a jetpack and a flamethrower and he maybe died the easiest that of all of them. And it like it was the same kind of thing with Jesse Ventura, where he doesn't get to have like the moment that uh, you would want him to have, especially as one of those stalkers who's like legendary. But with Tanaka, who plays Sub-Zero, it's like he's a sumo wrestler who's like dressed as a goalie and like they made him into like a hockey figure like it doesn't even make sense who his character is so as soon as they announce him as the first one it's like okay he's gonna die it's like i get it he's a pro wrestler and so he's like a larger than life character but in the context of the movie that we see unless you really make it like two and a half hours how much character development are you going to get out of the stalkers that are there for the purpose of being killed anyway
2: I think one of the great, you know, I mean, we'll say one thing, but Ventura does have his moment when we were discussing it earlier when he comes burst, you know, Captain Freedom to wardrobe, please. Mm-hmm. So he comes in and he comes bursting in. He's like, I won't do it, Killian. He's <sighs> like, I'm not going to hear this. And he raises the arm. And <laughs> and he's like, oh, this is the thing. This is the code of the Warriors. You know, and it's like, and that's what I was talking about. And it's just like, so that was his moment. He never really gets, and and how they were able to manipulate i mean we we get a little cross cutting between that and you know mix hideout and it's like you know they see the thing when you know they get killed by the way she got dispatched pretty quickly right Mm -hmm. (laughs) she falls down the thing you know he takes he picks her up just snaps her neck and just throws her aside like okay you're you're non-character anyways but um yeah it's just it's just he did have his moment to assert
0: that's true things. interesting I know and I like that his character was kind of the one who is like you don't have to like fake it for me right like I I was killing guys like this like back in the day no problem you don't have to give me this weird like machine arm and like the you know the Iron Man' suit like I can fight this guy hand to hand and win uh so at least like he has that like he has his honor where a lot of these other guys are like, hey, we're like the killers for hire basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see we've got let's go we got to go with roger eber i always read his on here when they're available and that's chicago sun times he gave it a 63 so look at that roger ebert liked this movie it says the one element in the movie that is not standard and that does have some energy is the tv show itself with dawson's performance as the egotistical sleazebag host so he knows that really like this is a this could be any other kind of like generic Arnold film more or less from that era. But when you put in Dawson as Killian, he's really what puts it over the top and makes this movie what it is. Cause he's such a good villain without being uh, a physical adversary to Arnold, which he kind of deals with like in all his other heroic roles where he's, he has to overcome some sort of physical hurdle. And in this it's really, he has to overcome like, this guy who is entrenched in the TV business, which I think he said he works for like, uh, Justice department TV division or something <laughs> like that, uh, yeah. so like he's basically part of the government at that point as well, too. And without him, without his uh, charisma, I don't know that this movie works.
2: No, I agree with him. I mean, it's one of those things where so there's three or four different types of content You have man versus alien. Man versus nature, man versus man, and everything else. And you had to, because Arnold is such a physical, you just touched upon it, because he is such a physical presence, okay, you needed, which, you know, you look back on now as genius, you needed somebody to have the brains to go against Arnold. Because physically, yeah, you could have had Jesse Ventura fight him, but it would have been... You know, we all saw what would have happened type of thing, even though that was staged. But you put brains against them, and it's a totally different element. And so, and the other genius thing is this. You have a TV show inside of a movie, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm thinking of right off the top of my head. I mean, Best Picture would have been Argo. Like, mm. we were trying to make a movie inside of a movie genius, right? I mean for completely different things, but you see the concept. So, I love that.
0: We're going to go to the New York Times, which is Vincent Canby, it says has the manners and the gadgetry of a sci-fi adventure film, but is at heart an engagingly mean, cruel, nasty, funny send-up of television. It's not quite network, but then it also doesn't take itself too seriously, and I think that hits the nail on the head. Like it's Meant to be a satirical Teardown of sort of the TV Business and sort of like the game show Side of the TV business as well But like that's like It's still an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Like it's not this heady uh, Satire this is still An action sci-fi thriller At at its core so I think Vincent Camby nailed it he gave it a 70 out of 100 It
2: knows what it is
0: Absolutely that's the thing. It knows what it is and when you know
2: What the film is, if you're making the film and you know what it is, then you can just excel. And I think that and I think that review says it right. And it look, it was mean, it was cruel, and it was, you know, all these things, but it knew what it was. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I I know I keep saying it, but Dawson was just for that time frame, he was the perfect. Try, I mean, uh, uh, just kidding aside, try putting Bob Barker in there. <laughs> you know, you know Link Martindale in there from Dick to after. I mean, you couldn't put any, Gene Rayburn, you couldn't put anybody else in there because he had that,
0: just that charisma is what you've said. You're right. He had that charisma. Yeah, well, it's kind of weird to think that Dawson, like, didn't make another movie after this. like Because one of the things that, even among the negative reviews, the thing that is praised the most is his performance.
2: Well, he wasn't, people don't realize this. Well, I mean, he was an actor for several, several years on Hogan's Heroes. Mm-hmm. So, like, he did Hogan's Heroes for many, many years. And then, you know, Family Feud was coming about. And Hogan Heroes was ending, and he needed another gig, and somebody had said, hey, look, there's a show that's going to be starting, and it's called Family Feud. Do you want to do it? And so he auditioned <clears throat> he auditioned for it, and they really, really liked him. And they said, you know, and they had cried a couple other people, and they said, yeah, good choice. And so, you know, the rest is history, you know. Um, so... You know, that was one of the biggest game shows back in the 1980s. More than Wheel of Fortune, more than Jeopardy, more than anything else was Family Feud. It's my
0: favorite of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, We're going to uh, close it out with uh, Empire by uh this is a review from Ian Nathan. Gave it an 80 out of 100. So this guy, he's with us said never managing to look more high tech or uh further on from 1987 than well high tech trainers this arnie vehicle still runs its bloody course without dropping many gears a brainless breathless thrill and i would disagree that it's brainless but for the most part he he hits it on the head it's like it doesn't really look like it's much further down the line than 1987 but i always like older movies that try to interpret like what the future is going to look like. And seeing the eighties vision of the future is different than like the seventies vision of the future. Like when you go back and look at uh like Cronenberg stuff, like scanners, like his stuff always has a very particular tone to it. And then I think you see that again with his son, when he did uh possessor a couple years ago, it has that same kind of gritty seventies look, even though it's set like, in basically the not too distant future, so I like that each era has its own uh identity for like what it thinks the future is going to look like.
2: Oh, absolutely, I think, and, and and yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, maybe right now, I mean, I don't know, eighty might be a little high. I mean, I probably would have given like a seventy-five, um, because it had, you know, I mean, we've talked about all these things, but no, I mean. I, it always it did fascinate me though that there was only 12 reviews hmm. right I mean <laughs> so it's not like it's and, and these 12 people were I mean they were all top notch you know you've got the New York Times you've got Empire you've got Roger Deeper the Chicago Times you've got Variety so it's one of those things where they're all top notch interviews so that's fine but now you go on <clears throat> excuse me today and it's like
0: 1500 reviews Yeah, you know
2: and it's just like
0: Okay, It's got one hundred and sixty thousand user ratings on IMDb. So that's a lot. (laughs) That is a lot. So, yeah, I just use that kind of as like, uh, here's where I can pull a couple of like quick, easy pull quote type reviews to read from. And I don't know. I mean, like if I were if I were forced to rate it like, yeah, like you said, eight is maybe a little bit high. But I would say that the fun factor is so overwhelming for me with this movie that I can't help but still land it probably in the seven range. Cause if the fun factor is a 10 and maybe some of the other things don't quite live up to that, like the fun factor is still like why I'm sitting there watching it. So I don't know. I, I couldn't nail it down, but yeah, maybe 80 is overly generous, but Hey, I'm down for it. Give it an 80, give I it a hundred. I don't care.
1: Yeah. Give I it I, a five absolutely. star on
0: letterbox. If you, if you listen to this and you love running, man, Help us improve the rating by dropping five-star reviews on (laughs) Letterboxd. No, absolutely. It's just, actually, it's interesting. It got a 6.7
2: out of 10. So, I mean, even the the audience itself said, this is closer to a 7. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think that that's a, uh, it's, you know, like I said, it's always interesting to see not only what the critics say, but what the audience says, right? I mean, whether it's Letterboxd or imdb.com or Rotten Tomatoes or whatever it is, look, you know, putting your thoughts down today, rating a movie, it's now a big thing. Yeah. I mean, not to say it wasn't a big thing back in the day, but it wasn't as prevalent and it wasn't as thought after. I mean, look, you, you, whether you go on YouTube or what, everybody is a movie critic everybody to Mm -hmm. a certain extent and so they have their thoughts and their their opinions about it so they are
0: able to do it on that which is a good thing yeah it's like i kind of stopped rating movies like i don't know three four years ago i just got to the point where i'm like nah it's like i can give a recommendation without necessarily like grading it like on a on a letter grade or a number grade i was like i'm just here to like enjoy it as a piece of film and i can recommend it and that's kind of one of the things that we do on this show is i ask you the question if you like running man what is a good movie that you would recommend based on that or that same idea if you have not seen running man and you want to get someone to watch Running Man, what's a good comparable film that you would recommend that's kind of in the same wheelhouse? So like, oh, if you like this, you would probably like Running Man as well.
1: Um, hmm.
2: Well, I mean, it's you know what? I'm going to go with another Arnold one, and it might be a little out there, but I'm going to go with Total Recall. Okay, nice. I'm going to go with Total Recall. It's it's still got the sci-fi-ish type of thing. It still has the you know, hurting for resources. It still has the government-run um, faction, if you will. Mm-hmm. It still has that villain. And it has a ton of action. And it has a lot of corny one-liners, too. It so, um, and it has Sharon Stowe. <laughs> um, that it does. But, you know, I, I think that, I think, so. yeah, I would say Total Recon.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. I would say that they're very tonally the same. You could put them on one after the other and be like, you might almost think that they were made by the same person because they kind of operate within the same wheelhouse. Uh, Total Recall is a little bit more complete of a film. So I think that's why that one is obviously much more uh, renowned amongst Arnold's library. But I like that as a good point of comparison. And I wasn't even going to give one. But then earlier in the show, you had mentioned Fahrenheit 451, which is one of my favorite novels. The Movie version that came out recently was not great, but I want to recommend Equilibrium from when was it? 2097? 27? 2007? Sorry, not 27. We're not there yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Equilibrium kind of is cut from the same sloth uh, of identity as the Fahrenheit 451 story, where music movies art all that stuff is contraband and the people are being anesthetized not with tv but with a particular drug that they take on a regular basis to numb their emotions and it is action-packed you have sort of like a government entity that is in control of everything so i think it's actually very close to the running man in that way it's just a little bit more serious not uh, not kind of the arnold fun that we get in this one
2: yeah yeah, I, that's that's a good recommendation. No, I mean there's a lot of them out there, and it's when you get to see those sort of films, and it's it has and this says everything. You know, I mean the Running Man, and that's what makes it so fun—a guilty pleasure, if you will, because it is. It has the action, it has the charisma in Dawson, it has the campiness, one-liners, and it's has that element of today where. It's, oh, you know, we've touched upon it as one of those things where it's all surrounding these things are happening today. And they thought about it back in 1987.
0: Yeah. And that's what I took away from it this time watching it. So it was a nice to have like a different experience than I did when I'm an adult versus growing up in the 80s and watching this as a kid and, you know, liking it for all of the typical beats. I was much more into this for all of like the background story and the world building that they did for this that maybe isn't at the forefront of the story, but is an important element of it.
2: I think for me, and I've said this before, story is the number one. You can have the worst actors in the world and the best story. It'll be a mediocre movie. But then you can take the best actors in the world, and we've seen this, take the best actors in the world and the worst story. And it's going to be bad. (laughs) Or they're gonna because they can only do so much with material yeah so story for me especially behind the scenes stuff i love that stuff i mean because that is the glue when we see a movie that you go wow really um and that's the thing people don't realize that these things, these behind the scenes things, they may try something differently or shoot something differently. Um, you know, or repetitiously. Like, you know, I mean, he you know, I mean, it's oh. one of those things that a lot of people don't know that quick story about the movie is when they fit when they were gonna do that coffee shop scene, okay, that they Michael Mann originally was gonna do a third a third um he was going to do a two shot, okay, from the side. And he said, and you know, so they use the majority of take eleven because they were gonna do, it. but what he said was that when De Niro and Pacino, because they had worked before, when they were working, they were playing into one each other. So when you see one lean back, the other one would leak forward. One would turn their head one way, one would turn the head the other way, and it's that sort of thing, those nuances. That make a scene like that, which I think is a top 25 scene ever put on film, that make it all the
1: much better. And so, yeah, but it's those behind the scenes
2: stuff that make the film.
0: Yeah, I'm always an ideas guy. So I follow the ideas, like even if it doesn't have a good cast or a director who I know, if the idea interests me, that's kind of what I follow. And I let that sort of dictate my taste from there. Yeah. Uh, I'm Think kidding
2: I want, I want every single movie released whether it's on streaming or be, you know, theatrically I want it to do well and I want it to do well not because I want to enjoy it but because I know there were a lot of people yeah. that worked on this and they busted their butts to make the very best product
0: for you the viewer so when you see this you enjoy it Yeah, people aren't setting out to make bad movies, at least very rarely do you have someone whose intent is to be like, we want this to be in the realm of bad movies. The goal is always to give the audience something that's worth seeing. And so I I appreciate that. And that's kind of why I stopped uh, like scoring and rating films in general as well as because it's like there's so many people that work on this. Like if it were me in that situation, would I want like, you know, some nobody to be like, well, this is a one star movie. I'd be like, nah. <laughs> yeah. So I started to look at it like a little bit differently. And so that's kind of like how I do my thing now.
2: Well, I always say film subjective. Right? Absolutely Absolutely. I mean, you may like a film that I may not like, and I may like a film you may not like. And you can try and convince me of well, this is because of this, this, and this, and this, and I can do the same thing. But it's one of those things where it's that's how it is. You may not like something that I like, and that's fine because we all interpret things differently. And we all we all see things. I mean, this is why some films people, I mean, people go back and watch films, whether it's a running man. Or take any film that you've seen a lot, multiple times. And more times than not, you'll notice things that you didn't see before. And that's actually, speaking of, that's why I have We Watch Wednesday. So We Watch Wednesday is, a, is something on my Patreon that basically I've seen a movie but not uh, plenty of times, but I've se- I haven't seen it in a long time. And so, you know, this month I'm going to end up doing Training Day. And, hmm. but it's one of those things where, like, I guarantee I would see that movie all the way through in a long time. And I guarantee you there's going to be things. No, I've seen the film four or five times, but I guarantee you there's going to be things I pick up. Go, wow! I didn't realize that. It took me so I've seen a Star is Born five times, all in the theaters one. the 2018 version. Mm-hmm. It took me five times to pick up on something that happened. In the very beginning of the film, that was foreshadowed in the end. Hmm. And that just goes to show you. So
0: Yeah, and I think as viewers, like who we are changes and that shifts our perspective. It like it gives us a different prism to view things through. So as we grow as people It expands or sometimes contrasts like the way we look at certain things and that's an important part of rewatching and like how you see some of those things you didn't see before. I'm just glad that we can both agree that we like the running man. Because like you said, I'm sure there's movies that you like that I don't and vice versa. I guarantee it because that's just the way things are. But we both like The Running Man, and I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and talk about it. And since you had mentioned uh, your Patreon, why don't you tell me and whoever's going to listen to this show about what you've got going on uh, in the realm of film? I know you have a YouTube channel that you just started, right? Yes. Yes. So, uh, first of all, once
2: again, thank you for having me on, Nick. It's been an absolute blast to talk about this film. um So, I have a couple things. Number one, I do have a YouTube channel. uh It's called Real Talks, and that my name here is David Steele. So, do is punch in David Steele or Real Talks, and that will come up right on there. The, I just started. I uh, so I just got monetized. Yay! So, membership is very, very, very cheap. It's only two ninety nine a month. And I just got a couple, my first couple the other day, so I'm looking to grow that. But my Patreon, so I have a Patreon, and I have two very, very cheap levels. One of them is $5, and that's Mob Mondays. For Mob Mondays, what I do is I talk about all of the mob movies that you have watched that you love. So I'm talking about films like Scarface and The Departed and, you know, The Untouchables and all of these films. and then. The higher level is a little extra. It's ten dollars, and that's the only other one. And you get both of them. You get Rewatch Wednesdays, which I was just speaking about, and Bob Mondays. The first film I did for Rewatch Wednesdays is going was Steve Jobs, Michael Fassbender, hmm. Kate, Danny Boyle directed film. I'm doing Training Day this month. These are monthly things, and and I have uh, so I also do shows on a daily basis. So I will basically do a show. It's about a forty-five minute show. Okay, I will cover all of the entertainment news, the major entertainment news of the day. Um, all the information I get is from the trades, Variety, THR, Empire, whatever. So it's all reputable. And uh, <laughs> I also have, as I made mention earlier in the show, I also have a perfect movie series. But so once a month I'm going through, and I'm not going to list the films again, but I, I'm doing one. In, but when I say perfect, I mean, it's perfect to me. As as Nick and I were just discussing, um, it's subjective. But what the one thing we can agree on is it's critically acclaimed or it's very good. And whether it is Heat or whether it is The Social Network or whether it is The Dark Knight. So I am doing The Dark Knight in June, and I've got plenty. I've got the next six months of
0: perfect movies
2: already lined
0: up. Nice. And do you do that on YouTube? Is I that do. part of your channel? Okay. I do. I do. And you know, um,
2: everything I should say on YouTube is free. All of this stuff. And the last thing I'll make mention of is we do have a huge summer coming up, starting tomorrow. I'm gonna go see. I'm gonna go see the first Spider Verse movie today. I'm gonna sit down and watch that. And then tomorrow. So every single movie. Throughout this summer, whether it's across the Spider-Verse, whether it's Mission Impossible, whether it's The Flash, I do what I call spoiler cast. So it's I spill the beans about everything. And, you know, I talk, to, you know, people and I'll go watch it and then I'll give my thoughts and reactions and opinions about all of this stuff. So there's a ton of stuff on there.
0: Awesome. So glad to hear it. And you had mentioned that you do a live show every day. And I see it on Twitter saying, like, you're live right now. And it's your daily, like, breakdown of the news. And is that coming from YouTube? So I use StreamYard. StreamYard, okay.
2: StreamYard. So I have have the paid version of StreamYard. So the beauty about that is it streams to my YouTube channel, it streams to my Twitter feed, and it streams to my Facebook. So, guys, if you're able to follow me on, you know, if you're not able to catch the YouTube feed, okay, I'm on Twitter at WannabeRounder. That's W-A-N-N-A-B-E-R-O-U-N-D-E-R. Follow me there. I'm always talking about movies. I host spaces. I'm in spaces about movies. And movies are my passion. I love movies. I've loved movies for the past 35 years. And this is what I want to do. And, yeah. So the short answer to your question, Nick, is it does stream right to you there.
0: Gotcha. I know. There was a program that I had used once when I was a guest on someone else's podcast. So good to know. StreamYard, in case anybody out there has any questions, uh, that was StreamYard. Not that uh, I'm getting paid by them or anything. No.
2: And I am now able to produce my own show.
0: Nice. And so it's beautiful. Yep. Vertical integration right there. Yeah. (laughs) uh david thank you so much for your time man i'm really glad that we could uh find a time that worked and sit down and talk about a movie that we both love i'm gonna have all your stuff up in the show notes is there any closing statement you want to make about the running man or do you have this like ranked in your arnold film library
2: i think i think the running man
0: is it
2: was ahead of its time. I think it's, you know, a fun, you know, it's a fun movie. It's a movie that has everything, you know, whether it's the action, whether it's the campiness, whether it's the violence or whatever. And I think the other thing, the main thing, is this: it really touches upon things that are important today. I mean, it it may not be the same exact things but you can equate certain elements to the running man Mm -hmm. to today. And I think that's so important that the film was ahead of its time. And I think that was
0: really good. Yeah. I think if you Um, read between the lines, you get a lot out of it. Thank you so much for having me on. I had a blast. and I want to invite you.
2: Okay. I'd like to invite you to come on the show. Okay. We need we'll schedule a time and I will, you know, we have the whole summer. Um, yeah, you know, definitely, and um, you know, doing shows every day. But more than that, you know, you are more than welcome to come on anytime you want. Just
0: shoot me a message, and we will set up a time there awesome that sounds so good it's nice to collaborate maybe over the summer we'll do like a maybe we can get together and do a spoiler cast on something because i like to talk about all that spoiler stuff yeah <laughs> it's like i don't want to talk about i don't want to review this movie and not talk about all the stuff in it <laughs> yeah
2: no, anyways thank you very much nick i really truly appreciate
0: it thank you so much for your time david i appreciate it as well and uh, we'll be in touch soon all right my man okay right, care take yourself. care Thank you once again to David for joining me and talking about a movie that I love so very much. You can catch him talking movies every day at Real Talks on YouTube. That's R-E-E-L Talks. And I'll put the links up in the show notes. And thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. I know you have a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts, and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you do, please consider leaving a rating and telling a friend about it. I'd love to hear from you, so if you have a bad movie you love and or would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me at nickatthesheiss.com or at Bad Movies We Love with a L-U-V on Twitter and Instagram. And until next time, take care, be well, stay safe, and have fun however you get your movies.